You know, as we stand here today, really at the forefront of a new year, I believe today's message serves as a poignant reminder of the boundless blessings that await us in Christ on this New Year's Eve as we look into 2024. On this day, that we will be known as 123123. All right, did you guys get that? So 1231-23 is 123-123. I don't know if we'll ever experience this in math uh, equations for calendar years, but uh, that is certainly where we are today. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't think, uh, I just couldn't help but think really of the parallels of today's psalm, which we're going to be looking at, Psalm 20, with really a psalm that came out a few years ago known as The Blessing. And I don't know if you guys recall that song or know that song, but uh, it's taken from the Bible. Really, literally, it's taken from the priestly prayer of of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And we say it often here as part of our benediction at VCC. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face upon you and give you his peace. And that song resonated with so many people. And if you remember when that song came out, it came out in uh, the spring of 2020 as we were facing lockdown, especially in Alameda County and throughout our state and around the world as we were beginning to kind of go in the state of uncertainty and fear. And we didn't know what the future held, but as believers, we know who held the future. But I remember that hearing that song for the very first time as I was monitoring the live stream of the church that I came from up in the Sacramento region. And our Thrive Worship team was singing that song. And I was monitoring the chat in that particular day as they were singing the song, The Lord Bless You, May He Keep You. I promise not to sing it. You don't want to hear me sing that song. But uh, I remember just as I was like worshiping with that song, like this is a prayer by God's people for God's people. And I remember specifically putting in the chat that as a staff member at the church I was part of saying, this is our prayer for you, that the Lord would bless you. It's, it's from the people of God for the people of God. And uh, I just remember just that song resonating so much in people's hearts. In fact, it became the song of the year that year. So a lot of people resonated with that song because there's something about blessings. In a world marked by uncertainty and challenges and trials, a concept of blessing is a beacon of hope because it's a reminder that God is with us, that he is near, and that God is working on our behalf. And that was certainly true in 2020, and it's certainly true for us today. And it was certainly true when David penned these words in Psalm 20 some centuries ago. But before we read the text today, I want to just give us a little bit of a backdrop because there are so many similarities to that song, The Blessing, in today's psalm that we look at. Not only is it a song of blessings by the people of God for the people of God, but it also was to be sung as it was written by David over the king of Israel, which was David, and the nation of Israel, the army of the nation of Israel, as they headed into battle. And I would imagine that as they sung this psalm and as they prayed this prayer, it was met with some uncertainty and fear and intrepidation, believing that God was with them. But I would imagine that some of these parents were sending off their kids into battle, not knowing if they would ever return home. And so that's a little bit of this prayer. It's a prayer 
of, uh, that was happening on the eve of the battle as David and his men would go off to war. And Israel asked God for his favorable response towards the king's army and his men. So with that as the background, let's go ahead and read Psalm 20. You can follow along with me on the air Bibles behind me or in the text that you have in front of you. Let's read God's word together. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall. But we arise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Let's pray together. Father, as we stand on the eve of a new year, we we call upon you as our Lord and our Savior, our Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for your precious promises, which are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And today, God, as we open up this particular passage of Scripture, we are reminded of your faithfulness and of your love. And ultimately, how you fulfilled this psalm in the person and work of Christ. So, Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive what it is you would have us to receive today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. All right. Well, as we look at this psalm, it's really divided into four parts or four sections. What I want to do over the course of our time here is really just unpack those four sections, talk about the significance, and talk about what they really point to and the implications for us today. And really, you'll see that this is a little bit of a responsive prayer, and I'll break that down in the responses. And later, we're actually going to respond together collectively as we read this psalm together. But we begin in Psalm uh, 20, verses 1 through 4. And in the opening verses here, we see Israel's sincere plea for God's blessing as the king heads out to, to battle. Again, contextually, we see some uncertainties in the air. They're, they're wanting God's favor. They're wanting God's protection. They're wanting God to, to basically give them the victory as they head in to battle. And they cry out to the Lord expressing their dependence upon him and their need for him to go before them. And they ask for his divine blessing. In fact, there are ten requests of blessings in this particular psalm. In these nine verses, there's ten requests for blessings. Eight of those ten are recorded in the first four uh, verses of this particular psalm. And I don't know if you know the significance, but in the Bible, the number ten has great significance. Ten blessings to signify completion, perfection, and divine order. And I don't know if there was intentionality as David particularly wrote this, or if he was just inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to definitely pen these words. But it is a sign of completion, of divine order. And I want us to notice that the blessings are in the Hebrew in perfect tense here. Now I know we don't have a room full of Hebrew scholars, nor am I a Hebrew scholar myself. 
I didn't even take Hebrew in seminary, I confess, all right. I didn't go for that degree. I went for the easier degree, the Master of Arts program. But uh, if you notice, you can read any commentary and get this particular sense here. But it's in the imperfect Hebrew tense because it's something that's to be completed. It has yet to be completed. They're asking for God's favor. They're asking for God to do something in their midst. And this is what they pray. And these are the blessings. And the ESV puts it in the form of may. All right. So we see these eight blessings, and they're really recorded in the first four verses. You'll follow along here. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send help from the sanctuary. May he give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings. May he regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desires and may he fulfill all your plans. You see, these are prayers for God's blessing and for victory because Israel longed for a king to ultimately reign and rule. And their request is one that's based in in the promises of God himself because they as a nation were the favored nation. They were the chosen people of God to be a blessing to all nations. If you recall back to the Abrahamic covenant and, and Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham would be blessed and that all people would be blessed because of him. That's what they believed, that they were to be a blessing to all nations. And so it is with that intent that they prayed for God's favor and for his blessing and for him to come and to rule and to reign. But this prayer goes beyond the immediate circumstances of Israel, if we can kind of flip the script, so to speak. Because it's a prayer of a desperate nation and longing for a Messiah who would establish his ultimate rule and reign amongst the nations. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come as we had just talked about in our Advent series, this longing for Messiah to come. These are the prayers of a desperate nation who longed for the ultimate victor who would save them from their sins and establish God's kingdom here on earth. And it's that prayer to Yahweh and ultimately a prayer for Messiah who would answer them in the day of trouble. When I think about that particular phrase or that particular verse, I I think of the first promise of a redeemer in in Genesis chapter 3 where it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I'd imagine there's a a recollection and a reminder of that promise given back in Genesis chapter 3. That God would help them in the sanctuary. He'll help them in 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 the sanctuary or from the sanctuary, I should say. That this idea that ultimately Messiah would come, that Jesus would come, and that he would rule and reign. They pray for a reminder of the, or that God would ultimately, a reminder for their sacrifices and offerings as offered by faith. In the hopes that one day their sacrifices would be remembered and that God would ultimately abolish the law and bring about his rule and his kingdom and salvation. And that God would grant them their heart's desire. Again, the desire of their heart was for a Messiah. For ultimately God to satisfy the sin debt. And Israel looked forward to a divine rescuer. And just as much as they did, we as Christians look forward to the second coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, he came and he ruled and he, he reigned here on earth. In a, in a, in a, in not as a, as a reigning king, but as a suffering servant. And we look back to the cross where Jesus 
uh, answered our deepest cries and provided salvation for all who would believe. And so that was their prayer, that God would, would come and would bring about his rule and reign on earth. Foreshadowing not in the immediate situation, but also in the ultimate with the Messiah that would come, the long-awaited one. And then their prayer moves a little bit from this idea of may he grant to may we. May we shout for joy as we see in verse 5. It signals a transition from Israel's prayer to Israel's response as they turn and trust in the Lord for his victory. Listen to verse 5. It says this, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. It's a shift of praying for the nation. Ultimately, it's a shift for them to pray for themselves that they would respond as God gives them favor, as God gives their army blessing. Israel's voice is one of confidence that God would answer their prayers. In fact, they anticipate that they would shout for joy over Israel's triumph. And they plan to celebrate their victory by waving Israel's flag in victory. To Israel, these prayers for, for victory were not just political ones. They were theological, again, based on the promise that God's people are meant to be a blessing to all nations in the fulfillment of an Abrahamic covenant. If I can flip the script again, the psalm speaks to the coming of the Messiah. Our response in Christ echoes Israel's declaration. May we shout for joy over our salvation and in the name of a God, of our God, set up banners. God would ultimately send Christ to be this, the payment for our sin debt. So that we could with joy rejoice over our salvation in Christ. You see, as Jesus followers, we turn to the source of our strength in our victory. That being Jesus himself. And the psalmist calls us to a place to put our trust in God. Not in worldly power, but in Yahweh. Anticipating the salvation that transcends the temporal to the eternal. This is what the scriptures declare in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 where it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Israel's response of faith must be our response of faith in order to experience the blessings that are ours in Christ. That by faith we put our faith and trust in his completed work on the cross for our sins and for our salvation. So not only do we see Israel's prayer and Israel's response. But in section 3, we see David's assurance. This again was being prayed over and sung over King David and the nation of Israel, the army of the nation of Israel. And this is what David responds in verses 6 through 8. He says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. You see in those several verses there, we see that David, anointed by God, confidently declared that the Lord himself saves. 
because David trusted in the Lord, he knew that the victory was his. In fact, he confidently states it in this section when he says, he will answer him from his holy heaven. God will answer us from his holy heaven. And with the saving might of his righteous right hand. I don't know if you know about the significance of that particular phrase of the right hand of God. But it's a recurring theme in the Bible. And it symbolizes the strength and the provision and the protection of our God. Of the nature of our God. And the right hand was often associated with God's favor as well as his blessing. David is assured of God's favor and blessing as he trusts in the Lord. And so often it's so tempting in our world today to trust in military power or political parties or even legislative bodies. I said it, political parties, to protect us. But the psalm declares that those who trust in the Lord will always rise even from the dead. That is our hope. That is our assurance. That is our victory. I would imagine that as these men were going off to battle, they were recalling that ultimately God would provide and God would make a way for victory. Maybe not in this life, but in the life everlasting as well as they were longing for Messiah to come and to settle the sin debt. I think if we flip the script again, David's affirmation points to a broader revelation the ultimate announcement of salvation that would come through Jesus Christ himself. You see, David's words really foreshadow the announcement of the gospel in Christ, the Savior, we have salvation. Can I hear an amen to that? It's a foreshadow of what's to come as the victory is proclaimed in the psalm is ultimately realized in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross as the propitiation for our sin. And as the text proclaims, victory will come when God sends aid from his sanctuary. From his sanctuary. From heaven where he dwells, God will provide a way for us. Not in chariots or in horses, but in his son, Emmanuel. God with us. In fact, we know that Jesus didn't bring salvation by overcoming his enemies with weapons or violence. In fact, he, over, he allowed his enemies to crucify him on a cross. And it was all part of Jesus' strategy, not just to defeat wicked rulers, but to defeat the cause of wicked rulers, that being sin, the curse of sin, and the threat of evil kings, that being death. But we know the rest of the story. You see, the true battle for the kingdom of God is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. And so when Jesus died on a cross, he absorbed the most violent blow that sinful leaders can inflict, that of death. But God saved his anointed one just as he foretold in verse 6 of our psalm here. And Jesus has overcome his enemies and is now seated at the right hand throne of God. 
This is what Hebrews 12 reminds us of, the author of Hebrews. When he speaks, he says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him suffered the shame and ultimately sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Jesus sat down at the right-hand throne of God. His work is complete. It was paid in full so that we can know with certainty that we would spend eternity with God, not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what Christ did for us. That was the hope of Israel, that this work would be complete. The reality is, is that there is no political or spiritual force that has done battle with God's king and won. God has won the victory. We are on the victorious side. Is that a word, victorious side? We are on the winning side, right? Jesus is on the throne and he promises to fight for anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and asks for victory. God provides victory for his people. And we see this Jesus who establishes kingdom through the sacrificial love rather than through chariots. That's the Jesus that we worship. And so we see not only again Israel's uh, prayer and their response and then David's affirmation. But in verse, the last part is verse 9. We see Israel's yielding. They're yielding. The psalm concludes with a humble plea for God's intervention. Acknowledging their dependence on Yahweh to save them in battle. This is what verse 9 says. It says this, oh Lord, save the king. I can imagine them just announcing that very, very emphatically. Save the king. May he answer us when we call. That last phrase I think is, is really just what we do in church today. It's the, it's the amen of this particular passage of scripture. It's the amen, which means may it be so. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. Right. The people of God of Israel respond in unison with an amen, with a prayer of faith to demonstrate that God would save the king in battle. And ultimately he saved the king, Jesus, in battle as well. You see this yielding, again, if we flip the script, is a precursor to the perfect surrender of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed to the Father... Not my will be done, but yours. Not my will be done, but yours. It's an example of our need to yield to the will and to the lordship of Christ, our Savior, who fights our battles on our behalf if we simply surrender to him. But so often we want to hold on and we want to try to do it in our own sense of self and flesh, right? Rather than simply surrender our needs, our wants, and our desires to him. But I'm here today to tell you that, that the way to freedom in Christ is through surrender. It's not through victory. It's through surrender. And I know that's so contrary to our, our and so counterintuitive to our culture, right? We just kind of tough it up and just keep going. But the way to freedom is through surrender. When we yield to God's will, when we yield to God's plan, we sense peace. 
We experience his power and his presence alive in us to do what it is that he has asked us to do. If we simply yield. And that is what the nation of Israel has done when they say, may he answer us when we call. They have simply surrendered to his perfect will and plan for their lives. As we look forward to 2024, I don't know what 2024 looks like. You know, we can do some doom scrolling and kind of figure out maybe what some particular pundits might think about 2024. Or we can believe what the Bible has to say. That the victory is ours. That we have a certain future and a certain hope in the majesty and the glory of what God has accomplished on our behalf. So as we head into 2024, let's remember the blessings that are ours in Christ. God said that he would save his anointed in this psalm. Right? That the prayer was that God would save his anointed. And God ultimately did save his anointed, Jesus Christ, on Calvary. By raising him from the dead. And in and, and doing so, because we are in Christ, the same blessings are ours. Because we are his chosen people. To declare his majesties. And so because of that, because we are in Christ, we can have assurance in the promises of God. Of the victory and of our salvation. The battle has been won. The victory has been secure. Our salvation is secure in Christ. And it's not based upon what we do as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. For by grace we have been saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It is a gift from God so that no one could boast. This free gift of salvation is made possible through the completed work of Jesus on a cross. He's now seated at the right hand throne of God. His work is complete. And all we have to do is just choose to trust in him and his work on the cross rather than trying to do it in and of ourselves. This is our blessed assurance. This is our, our hope. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation purchased of God, born of the Spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is our blessed assurance. This is the hope that we have in Christ, if we are in Christ. We no longer have to worry if we've done enough to earn God's favor and blessing because it was settled at the cross. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I could have the hope of spending eternity with him. As I was kind of going through my notes this morning, this wasn't in my notes, but I was recalling a time when I was asked to go to the hospital for a faithful, faithful servant of Jesus. And he was breathing his last breaths and we were called just to pray for the family and I admired and I respected this man so much. And he was still conscious as he was breathing his last few breaths. But he, uh, he, he said to me, he said, Brian, he was a missionary. He was a pastor. He was a faithful servant of Jesus for many, many, many years. He says, Brian, I don't know if I've done enough. I don't know if I've done enough. And I looked into Don's eyes and I said, Don, it isn't about what you did. It's about what Jesus did for you. And if you put your faith and trust in him, 
You don't have to worry about if you've done enough because Jesus settled the score at the cross. That is our hope and that is our salvation. And so because of that, the blessings are ours in Christ and we can claim those blessings. And finally, as we head into 2024, I want to ask us to pray in faith, yielding to his will. Just like the nation of Israel yielded to the will of God, we need to yield ourselves to his will, his plan, his purposes for us in 2024. And I don't know if you've caught it, but the next slide will show you in our four points of the four sections of this particular psalm, we have Israel's prayer, Israel's response, David's affirmation, and ultimately Israel's yielding. What are those four points besides the first word and the second word? Spell out. Pray. 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 To take God at his word. To believe him. Just like Israel voiced their confidence in God who would answer their prayers. We can have the same confidence that God will answer our prayers according to his will. This is the promise of 1 John 5, 14 and 15. When John writes these words, he says this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. How do we pray according to God's will? Where is his will revealed? In the scriptures. If we pray God's word, we can have confidence that God will answer on our behalf because we're praying according to to his will, his already revealed will for us. So let's rest in those promises. Let's pray those promises this year according to his revealed will. And let's pray blessings over one another as well. Because it gives us hope. And it gives us a reminder that God is with us. Emmanuel. And so what we're going to do in our final moments together is we're going to do a responsive reading together just to reiterate and just proclaim the truth of the psalm together. So I'm going to invite you to stand up with me. If you please stand. And again, the psalm was intended to be a responsive psalm. And so I'm going to read a couple verses, verses 1 through 4. Then in the bold, you'll see uh, verse 5. It's, I think, all capped for you to basically read. You're going to read the all capped version of verse 5 and verse 9 in unison together. All right, let's read God's word together. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Amen. 